Great to see all of you here uh, bright and early. And I uh, appreciate you showing up one hour early for church. That's a first, right? But it's great to, great to see all of you. And I uh, want to welcome you. We're into our series called Killing It. And I just have a, a question. Are you killing it? Are killing it? And I uh, want to invite you to do that. Uh, we're in our part three. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back to our website and make sure you go over part one. Okay, because uh, the questions that we asked, uh, what we talked about a few weeks ago, or last week, we talked about the fact that you can't see what we're going to talk about. You're blind to it, but other people, they nail it in a second. So it's really important that you go and, and, and go over the questions. Uh, so today we're going to be uh, talking about, again, for our part two, we're talking about this thing that has the potential to destroy your life, to destroy your relationships. I mean, it's that serious. Our pride is something that can basically lock people out of your life and lock God out of your life. Your pride has the potential to fill a room so that there's no room for anybody else in your life. I mean, that's how serious it is. It's, it's something that has the potential to destroy us. Uh, it also keeps you from admitting things about yourself. It keeps you from admitting when you're wrong about something. Uh, you, can't, you can't see things because of your pride. But the incredible thing is, is that if we invite other people, close friendships into our lives, they can help us see it. What we're doing in this whole series is calling out pride before it shuts God and others out. And uh, today we're going to be uh, looking at, uh, specifically, I want to talk to a group of people, okay, specifically, those of you, maybe somebody online, uh, but a group of people. These are called the 3P people, okay? The 3P people, all right? And, and this is for just these people, and especially the message today for, for you guys that are 3P people. These are people with a certain measure of power, a certain measure of prestige, and a certain measure of possessions. And what do I mean by that? Power, you're somebody that's in charge, People look to you at work and they, you're maybe a boss, you're a manager, you're somebody that you've got people under you that, that, that work for you, that answer to you. So when you say something because you're a person of power, people listen, people pay attention. Uh, you're, you're a person of prestige because prestige has to do with maybe, maybe you're married the right person, maybe, maybe you're friends with the right person, uh, maybe you're associated with somebody or something that, that puts you at a higher level. You, you basically look at other people that you're a cut above those other people. And then, you know, number three, we know what that's all about. You, you, got, you got stuff. You're well-resourced. You got plenty of stuff. And so we're going to be talking to those specific people. Now, if you're a 3P person and you are, are, are not admitting, if you're denying that you're a 3P person, uh, you're doing yourself a disfavor. Uh, you're basically lying to yourself, you know, and, and, and you're denying the truth. And, and here's something, if you deny you're a 3P person, it sets you up to misuse the opportunity to leverage what you have, the three Ps. Instead of using those things that you have, it sets you up to misuse them. Now, for those of you that are not 3P people, give me a minute and, and then we'll get on to our story. Okay, but I want to talk to just the 3P people for a minute, okay? It's very important that you, you own the fact that you're a 3P person, okay? You with me on that? Now, 
for all of us in the room today, if you think you're not a 3P person, I got a group of people that may argue with you. Okay, it's a pretty large group. Three billion people. If they spent one day with you, three billion people, and I'm talking about these people around the world, three billion people, these are the people that earn $2.25 a day or less. If they spent one day with you, and you're saying, no, I'm not, I'm not a 3P person. No, I'm just, I'm just an average person. I'm not a, I'm not, I don't have any power, prestige, or any possessions. If they spent one hour with you, they go, you know what? I don't think you're seeing it. You have the opportunity to make choices in one day that I will not make in a lifetime. You can get on your phone, you can order pizza. I'll never get to do that. You can walk into a restaurant and somebody will say, may I help you, please? I've never had somebody say that to me, ever. So, I guess the message is for the 3P people, but I guess everybody in the United States of America and everybody sitting in the room today is a what? So let's just admit it. Let's go ahead and say it. My name is Peter Garcia, and I'm a 3P person. Okay, go ahead, admit it. I'm a 3P person. Just be honest. Don't fight it. Don't argue with the facts. It's, it's real. It's true. We are 3P people. And so we have so much. And the question is, you know, what are we doing with it? So today we're going to look at an Old Testament story, and we're going to cover a lot of Scripture today. So I need you guys to stay with me, especially the teens. I need you guys to stay with me because I'm going to ask you guys to participate. How many of us grew up in church and your parents told you, your mom told you, you couldn't talk in church? And she used her thumb and her finger to make sure you didn't talk in church. And she would grab your leg and, uh, you go, wow. Okay, don't talk in church. Today, you're going to be able to talk in church. Okay, so I'm going to need some audience participation. All right? This is where the audience talks back to the speaker. That's what the Greek, in the Greek chorus, that's what they do. They would have the audience interaction. So I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to, to, to play along in, in the lesson today. Okay, you with me on that? Amen. Are you good with that? Yes. All right. Okay, so we're going to move into the story. We're going to be talking about a man in the scriptures from the, the, the book of uh, Daniel. It's basically in the, in the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And we're going to be talking about this man and his descendants, King Nebuchadnezzar. This took place at about 605 B.C. And basically, King Nebuchadnezzar was very powerful, and he was conquering a large part of the world, that civilized world that existed at that time at 605 B.C. And he basically went into different countries and conquered them and took from those countries the young brightest and, 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 and the best young men. He was very smart. He says, if I can get the brightest young men and, and, the, and the most handsome, the, the, the most equipped, the brilliant, I'm going to take them back to Babylonia and I'm going to teach them to walk and talk like a Babylonian. And then I'm going to raise them up to be leaders within my nation. And so this is what happened to Israel. They were conquered. King Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem and conquered it, took all the articles from the temple of Jerusalem, the temple of the Lord, 
And he took the best and the brightest young men from Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about four of these best and brightest young men. They came when they were basically teenagers. And one of them you know well, his name is Daniel. And there were three others that were with Daniel. One of them was name was Shadrach, Meshach, and then the third one's name was? Man, you guys are, you smart. You read your Bibles. You really do. And so these are the four young Jewish teenagers that were in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And on one day, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. It was a very disturbing dream. He dreamed about a, a huge tree that basically he saw, and the tree was so big that it touched the sky, it touched the, the ceiling of the heavens, and it was so big you could see the tree from one end of the earth to the other. And it provided food, shelter, safety for all animals on earth. And then a voice came down from, from, from the heavens, and basically the tree was removed. And then there was another dream that he had. And this dream was about a statue that was, was, was raised up. And he didn't understand what that dream was all about. So he basically said, I need a, an interpreter of these dreams. And so he calls to his magicians, astrologers, and advisors. And he tells them, I just had a dream and I'm very disturbed by that dream. And I need you to tell me the interpretation of that dream. And so they said, okay, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. He said, no, we're not going to play that. Because you guys, you, you invent stuff. So I want you to tell me what the dream was, and then you tell me what the interpretation of the dream. They said, wait a minute, nobody knows how to do that. You got to tell us the dream first. He says, no, I'm not playing that. In fact, how serious I am, if you don't tell me what the dream is and what the interpretation is within a certain time frame, I'm going to kill all of you. And so he gave them a date. And so the word was out, and they were scared. And so one of the officials went to Daniel, and Daniel's just a teenager. He's just learning. He's in training. And he said, Daniel, do you hear what the king said? No, what did he say? He said, if we don't find someone to, to, to interpret, to first of all, tell what the dream was, and then interpret the dream, he's going to kill us all. And that means you, Daniel. So Daniel goes, whoa, 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 let me talk. Let me, hey, let me talk to the, to the king. So he goes to the king, and he says, king, I need a day. I can tell you what the dream is, and I can tell you what the interpretation of the dream is. So they took that day, and he goes and he prays to God, and he asks God for insight and wisdom, and God gave it to him right after he finished his prayer. And he goes back and he tells King Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was and the interpretation of the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, because you have done that, your God is now going to become the God of all of our nation. We're going to worship your God because nobody can do what you did. And so he put Daniel in charge of a lot. He was a high official in the, 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 the kingdom of Babylonia. And so a few years go by, and Nebuchadnezzar forgets the lesson that he learned about who is God and, and who's in charge and who is the highest God. And he basically builds as, a, as a, you know, an illustration of his own power, he builds a statue, huge gold statue. And he says, everybody that doesn't bow down to that statue, we're going to burn them in a furnace. So when I start the choir and I start the furnace, when I start the, the music playing, everybody's got to take a knee to 
this statue that I've built. And so Daniel's probably traveling, but the three others are there, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And so the, the word goes out, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will not bow down to your idol. Word got back to the king. And so he calls him out, and he says, do you understand what you're saying? Do you understand what you're doing? I'm going to give you one more chance. If you don't, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, king, we don't care if you throw us in the furnace. We're not bowing down because we have one God and we only will bow down to him. Ooh, and King Nebuchadnezzar got livid. He got furious. He said, well, we're going to make that fire even hotter. He made the furnace seven times hotter. He tied up Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and he had guards throw them into the furnace. And basically, the furnace was so hot that it burned up and killed the guards who threw Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego into the furnace. And so Meshach, Shadrach are in the furnace, and Abednego are in the furnace. And the king looks into the furnace and he says, hey, what are you guys doing? They're walking around in the furnace, the three of them, untouched. They won't burn up. And there's a fourth guy in there with them. And he looks like a son of the gods. And so King Nebuchadnezzar goes up to the, to the, to the furnace and he says, hey, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, sons of the most high God, come out of there. And so they come out and they do a thorough investigation of their turbans, of the robes, and everything else. Not one thread hair is singed. They don't even have a smell of smoke on them. And so Nebuchadnezzar, one more time, he says, new rule in the kingdom. The God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego is the God of our nation. And whoever doesn't worship and bow down to their God, I'm going to kill them. (laughs) So what we have here with Nebuchadnezzar is he has an on-again, off-again faith. Know anybody like that? They believe today. And who knows tomorrow? What I want to encourage you not to have is an on-again, off-again faith. Now, what was one of the reasons why Nebuchadnezzar had this on-again, off-again faith? He's the king of the most powerful nation in the world. And he had these sycophants that would run around with him. Sycophant is somebody that worships and says to people that they adore that they're basically the most incredible, awesome people. It's like you're a god. So when you're hearing that all the time, guess what happens? You get confused at who is God. So a number of years go by, and Nebuchadnezzar, guess what? He has the dream that I talked about earlier, the big tree dream. And he's disturbed by it. And Daniel's the man. So he calls Daniel and he asks them and he explains to them and he says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. Now, he's a 3P person because we got two of them up here on the screen. He's got his palace and he's prosperous. But he was afraid of this dream. It disturbed him. And and in this dream, basically what happens is he hears a voice. There's a huge tree. 
And then there's a voice that calls out, a messenger, about this tree. The decision is announced by the messengers. The Holy One declares the verdict so the living may know. And I need you guys to participate. This is where you're going to say it with me. We're going to read this together, okay? This is the proclamation. This was the messenger telling King Nebuchadnezzar in his dream. Okay, so you ready? Here we go. The Most High over all kingdoms and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. And this is what he heard in his dream. And so he goes and tells Daniel, Daniel, I had this dream and I heard this voice and this was the message in the voice. What's this all about? The tree and everything else and the tree was cut down. And basically there was only a stump and the stump was there for a time and the stump was covered with bronze. And I, I couldn't figure it out. It was extremely confusing. And Daniel listens to the dream. And he looks at the king and his face goes white because he knows the meaning of the dream. And he says, oh, king, oh, that this dream would be about your enemies. But it is about you, king. You are that tree. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree. The most high is issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the, okay, the Most High is the sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And that's the title of our lesson today. Whether we know it or not, whether we're willing to admit it or not, heaven rules. And I love that phrase because Nebuchadnezzar had a hard time wrapping his mind, his heart around the fact that heaven rules not you, Nebuchadnezzar. God's in charge. He is the king of kings. It is not the great, and then this is what happens one year later, one year later, Nebuchadnezzar forgets the conversation, forgets the dream, He's up in his patio, and look at what he says up in his patio. Twelve months later, he says this phrase. Is not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? And this would be in the part of the movie where the music kind of elevates and the audience goes, no, you didn't just say that. Because what's coming is the fulfillment of the dream. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from the people and will live with the animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers and of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. You say, man, this is freaky, right? I'm not sure I can believe this. Do you know that this is an actual occurrence? an insanity that's been diagnosed medically? Look it up on Wikipedia. Here's the name of it. It's called boanthropy. There's been actual cases of this. The most famous case was in Great Britain. A man was in this state for five years. This is the condition. From Wikipedia, it says this. And you can trust whatever's on Wikipedia, right? A person in a delusional state believes himself or herself to be an ox or a cow, attempts to live and behave accordingly. This man lived in this state in an insane asylum for five years. And exactly what it said, he would not eat the food in the cafeteria. Basically, when he got up in the morning, he wanted to go outside in the lawn, and he spent the whole day eating grass and drinking water. That's it for five years. And exactly what it said, his hair grew out and his nails became like claws. And he thought he was an ox or a cow. At the end of the time, and then, this, and then uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes back and he says what happened. At the end of the time, and what the time was, was that seven times period. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. He came back in his right mind, and he figured out who's who and what's what. I honored and glorified him who lives forever, his dominion and his eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven Because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Pretty powerful story, isn't it? The most powerful king in the world, God is able to bring low and help him to figure out who's who. And and this is an incredible ending to the story. And we hope that Nebuchadnezzar came to the conviction that God is most high and that stuck with him for the rest of his life. But 40 years went by, Nebuchadnezzar dies, and the the kingdom of Babylonia is on the slide. It's waning. They're losing power. And Nebuchadnezzar's granddaughter marries another man who was in charge. He was the king. His name is Belteshazzar. And he had a co-leadership in his kingdom. There were basically two kings that shared their leadership. Belteshazzar was the king, but he also shared it with 
Nabonidus. And he was more of the general commander of the armies that would go out, but he also was a king as well. And so Nabonidus would go out and he would fight his battles against the most powerful at that time army that was gaining ground, and that was the Persians. And the leader of the Persians was Cyrus the Great. And he was gaining ground and he was defeating Nabonidus over and over again until one day he completely defeated Nabonidus and Nabonidus fled for the hills. And all this time, Belteshazzar has no idea that his kingdom is eroding all around him. In fact, the armies of the Persians were surrounding the city of Babylon and they were ready to take it. And Belteshazzar thought because it was an incredible, incredible city, it was impregnable. No one could get in that city. It was so, the walls were so high, there was no way to get in, is what he thought. So in defiance, he knew that maybe they would try to attack, but in defiance and in pride, he throws a party that night, a banquet. And invites all these people to come and they, you know, they're, they're celebrating, they got music going on and all this craziness is going on. And basically he's defiant. He basically brings out all the things that they captured from other kingdoms and they set them in the middle of a room and the music is going and the wine is flowing and, and they're having a big time and they start raising the goblets that they stole from the temple of the Lord and they started praising the gods of gold and silver and all these other gods. And then in one event, a noise appears on a wall in the middle of the banquet, and a hand appears. And that hand begins to write on the wall, and everybody's terrified. The music stops, everything stops, as they're watching this hand write in the plaster of the wall. And no one could understand what's written on the wall. And the Bible tells us that Belteshazzar was so afraid when he saw that hand writing on the wall, and that's where we get the phrase, the writing on the wall. That's where it comes from, is this event. The Bible tells us that Belteshazzar was so afraid that his knees gave way, he was ready to faint. He was so scared. So he asks in all of his starters, the party is stopped. Everything is stopped, and there's this huge question, what is that writing on the wall? And no one can interpret it. His astrologers, his, his, his magicians, all these powerful people could not. And basically, they're going, they're freaking out because they don't know what it means. And the granddaughter of, Nicode of, of Nebuchadnezzar remembers, guess who? Daniel. Daniel's 70 years old at this time. And so she says, I know somebody who can figure out because he is wise as the gods. He can interpret dreams. He understands. Let's get him in here. So I want you to imagine the scene. In comes Daniel. He comes into the banquet hall and he's looking around and he sees the party. He sees everything going on and everybody stopped and he sees the writing on the wall and he looks at Belteshazzar the king. And this is what he says. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts because he was offered gifts and splendor if he answered what was written on the wall. He said, you may keep the gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. 
Your majesty, the most high, God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven from the people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with, the, with wild donkeys and ate grass like an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. Until he acknowledged, and let's say it together, the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and set over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belteshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. See, this story of Nebuchadnezzar was a well-told story. There are certain stories you're going to tell your children and you're going to tell your grandchildren. I'll tell you one that I'll never not tell my children is how my parents and how they left Cuba to come to this country in the middle of the night. It was that kind of story. It was an experience. Balthazar heard that story. He heard about the seven times that his grandfather spent drenched with dew, living like an ox, and how he was stripped of all of his power for that period of time. He knew it. But you had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. Basically, you offended God by doing this. These are holy articles, and you defiled them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood. And, and as he's saying this, I want you to see he's right there. And here are all these gods stacked up in the middle of the room. He said, you praise the God of gold, of bronze, of wood, and of stone. They can't hear or see or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that is written. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And here is what the words mean. This is basically Aramaic. And he's going to interpret what this means. Mene means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. In other words, your days are numbered, Balthazar. This is, this, is, this is really intense because that very night, the city of Babylon was surrounded. And King Cyrus got there a week early. The Persians surrounded. He got there a week early and basically figured out a way to get into the city because the city was built on top part of the Euphrates River. The part of a deviated part of the Euphrates River ran under the city. And so what he did is he went upstream and he deviated the water from that river that went under the city to a swamp. And so little by little during that whole week before that night, the water level was going down and down and down until that very night, it was perfect timing, the river was dry. And they could slip right under the wall to invade the city. We read on. Tekel, you have been 
you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. In other words, you're accountable. What you do and how you live are going to get weighed out on the scales. You think you don't have to answer to anybody? Yeah, you do. You're going to have to answer to God. And then the third one is Perez. The kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Your influence, in other words, your influence is temporary. Have you ever run into somebody that is incredibly puffed up and arrogant? I mean, just wow. And haven't you ever thought of going up to them and saying, you know what, this whole thing you got going on, it's temporary. You're going to die. Now, we never say that, right? <laughs> but you think it. That's basically what Daniel is telling him. You know the horror story of this? That night, the Persians got in. And Belteshazzar was assassinated that very night. He was killed. And so when you read this story and you read about kings and you read about people that set themselves up, and why did all this happen? Because the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth and sets over them anyone he wants. And so for you and me, what, what, what can we glean from this? How, does this, how does this? how does this affect us? What does this mean for us? Well, you can draw your conclusions, but, but I'll, I'll help you a little bit. It basically means this. Three P people, which is all of us in the room. Three P people, power, prestige, and possessions. You have to understand that our things that we have, the power, the possessions, everything we have is a stewardship. It's not yours. The things that we have, the things that we accumulate, it's a stewardship. It's on loan. You only get to use it for a time. It's not yours, your life, your authority, your position at work, whatever you have. And you say, well, I don't have a lot. Even the little that you have is a lot more than other people. And I promise you, trust me, go to another third world country, walk around, you'll come back, mm, quiet. You can't say anything. I mean, it's like, what do I say? I know I'm incredibly blessed with so much, but why? Because it's a stewardship. And understand that it's temporary. And it's our, it's, it's our responsibility to use what we have well. Because we've been blessed with so much. And the, and the last thing is, is we are accountable. It's all going to be weighed out. What we do with our life. If we're sitting on our on our loins and we're not, we're not really making the most of the influence that we have, the opportunity that we have to make a difference. And one of the reasons why God came down so hard on Nebuchadnezzar and on Belteshazzar, because they had a code in their own law, and that code says you need to look out for the poor and needy that are around you. And that was one of the hot spots for God. You guys are not being righteous kings and you're being unjust because you're not taking care of who? The poor and the needy. You're not looking out for other people. You're not using what you have to help other people. 
and we're going to celebrate the communion, but I really, really want, I really want you guys to think about as we, we look at this lesson, as we go back, I want to I ask you some questions before, before we, we go there. And, and that's this. You know, when, when you get that raise, you know, when you sit in your, your king's chair, you know what I mean? And you get home, and everybody's got a king's chair. I know, I know especially the guys, you've got a king's chair at home. You got your chair, you sit in front of the TV, and you're sitting there, and you're going, ah, you know, you put your feet up, and, and you're there, and you're, ah, man, I got it. I'm like a king. When you're sitting in that chair, and pride tempts you to think that you're somebody special, I want to remind you that it's not what you think. And I want to encourage you to say, no pride. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to think like this. I'm not going to get puffed up because I know my life and my influence, all my stuff is a gift and it's on loan. You know, when you close that deal at work and you get a check, you know, that nice big check and you look at that check and you go, look at what my hands made. Look at all that hard work that I put. Think again. Who gave you the ability? You know, when you get your tax return and say, man, I'm rich. You know, I got all this money. Think again. Where did that come from? Before the IRS. You know, and see, a lot of times, God, we take for granted and I don't want anything from you, but God wants something from you. He wants you to use what you have for the benefit of people around you. And you know, we've been pulled out, most of us that are here today, and if you're a guest here today, this doesn't this necessarily apply to you, but if, if, if you're a member here, you've been given a lot. You've been given a promise by God. And there's other people out there that need that promise, that, that need what you have. Can't you give a little bit of your time to help one of them? To study the Bible with them? What keeps people from doing that? Pride. I don't need to. I'm my own king. You know, when you drive up to your house or your apartment or your condo and it's set up just how you like it, you know, and you open your refrigerator and there's, you know, all this stuff in there in your cabinet and, and you got all the things that you love are in there. Or you can go to the supermarket and you can buy the things that you love and you can say, hey, mom, can you buy some of that? Can you buy some of this? And when she brings it home and sets it in front of you and you say, oh, yeah, look at what I have. Think about it. It's on loan. It's a stewardship. It's a gift. And give praise to the most high. You know, when you order food or coffee or get that award or you get that promotion at your work, remember where it came from. You know, and I think about what, what is the reason we do everything we do here at church? When we sing in the morning, we sing, why, why do we do that? Because we're honoring the one who gave us all this. Do you realize that we are living in some of the most prosperous times in history? And we're so blessed. What, what would keep a person from singing to God and lifting up his name? Pride. 
What would, what would allow a person to come late to church over and over or to miss church and think, ah, I got other things to do. I got up late. I can't make it. Or even miss your small group. You know, well, I'm in a small group and I don't know if I can make it this week. I'm kind of tired. What would, what would cause a person to do that? Pride. Because you don't realize and you have an opportunity to give honor and praise to the Most High. And it really comes down to this question. Does heaven rule in your life? See, Nebuchadnezzar had to come to that conclusion after some hard knocks. Heaven rules. But I want to ask you, does heaven rule? Or do other things rule in your life? And no matter where we are, and and this is for everybody that's in the room today, because all of us are guilty in one shape or form. And that's why it's so important that we kill it. We kill pride. We nail it. And we destroy it. Because it can ruin us. And we're going to be called into account. The amazing thing is, with all this, when Jesus came, and look what Paul said about what Jesus did for us. Colossians 1, verse 21 through 22. It says, once you were alienated from from God and were enemies in your own minds because of your evil behavior. What was the most evil behavior that I had as a young man? You want to know what it was? Pride. Incredible, incredible pride. And I was separated from God because of my, and I was an enemy of God because of my behavior. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. He literally wanted to bring you into peace. It's not just send Daniel or a messenger, which, you know, sometimes he does, but reconcile you, give you the forgiveness of all your sins and reconcile you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you as holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation, to set you free from your pride. that pride doesn't have to be your master. Basically, Jesus is allowing you the opportunity to take back the remote control from pride and put it in your hands for you to decide who's going to be in charge of your life, God or your pride. It came at a cost, and right now we're going to take the communion, and I really want you to evaluate. You know, if Jesus did that much for us for one purpose, so that heaven would rule in our lives, so that pride would not destroy us and destroy our relationships. What's going to be our response this week, starting today, this afternoon? How will we respond? Let's pray for the communion. Father, we thank you so much for what we learned this morning. They're scary examples. And God, we don't want to be stubborn people. We don't want to be on on again and off again in our faith. Father, I pray that today we can make a decision to be accountable to you, to live our lives for you. Please help us to help each other. I pray for our friends that are here as guests. They can see, Father, how much you love them, how much, God, you want to save them and save all of us from our pride. Thank you, God, for Jesus who came here, gave his physical body, God. He He gave everything for us so that we could be set free from our pride, from our evil behavior, God. 
how we don't value you and don't value what you've given us. Please wash away our sins and help us, God. And I do pray that we can go out of here feeling forgiven and set free and that we will do everything we can through your Holy Spirit to put to death, to kill our pride in honor of Jesus and what he did for us. Thank you for this communion. Thank you that we can remember Jesus. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.